Thank you so much. If you will, take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. As you make your way there, I'm uh, reminded of a preacher who was uh, preaching on heaven. He got real excited. He was fired up about heaven, talking about how great it was, the streets of gold, the pearly gates, the walls of jasper, and just preaching and preaching, talking about how wonderful it would be to go there. And he got carried away and said, guys, how many of you want to go to heaven? Raise your hand. And he preached a little longer as people raised their hands and said, no, really, how many of you want to go to heaven? Raise your hand. And people really raised their hand, except for one little boy sitting next to his mom. And his mom kind of eyeballed him, gave him that little eye and said, son, what are you doing? You know, kind of like, uh, and he kind of said one more time, I said, guys, if you want to go to heaven, raise your hand. And everybody raised their hand, but this little boy. So the mom couldn't say, son, don't you want to go to heaven? He says, yes, ma'am, but I think he wants to go now, and I don't want to go now. Everybody wants to go to heaven. Some really probably don't want to go now. But I want to tell you that heaven's a vital part of our hope. And as I talk to you about hope for the heart today, you've got to understand how important that is that we realize what God has prepared for us. As I talk about hope for the heart, I have heard some amazing statements this week that have brought trouble to my heart. I've heard things, I'm going, boy, I wish I hadn't heard that. All through the week on, on various new ca- newscasts, I've heard statements like a worldwide storm as they look at what's happening in Egypt. That's a pretty strong statement, a worldwide storm. I heard a, another phrase, rage and revolution. Sounds pretty serious. Trouble my heart. I, I uh, was listening to, uh, they were showing different places and they were showing protests in, of course, Cairo, Egypt and Yemen. And then they showed protests in California, which is not necessarily a new thing. But they were interviewing one of the guys. They said, man, what are you doing? We're protesting. He said, we need a revolution. And they, the newscaster said, what do you mean by revolution? He said, you know what I mean by revolution? He said, no, what do you mean? He said, like what's happening in Cairo, Egypt. And then I heard uh, the one that kind of caught my attention the most was uh, one of the morning news shows said, we are now living in times of uncertainty. I said, Wow. Yes, we are. Now, I don't know about you, but none of that makes me feel real good. As I hear it, I think about it, as I see what's happening, all these phrases can greatly disturb us. As it has me, I think about, Lord, what's going to be happening next? And is it really such a time of uncertainty? I want to take you to John chapter 14, verse 1. As he says to his disciples, your heart must not be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If not, I would have told you. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And if I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come back and receive you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. Amazing words of comfort. Do you know why he had to share these words with disciples? Prior to John 14, Jesus has told them of his coming death. That's not what they wanted to hear. They had signed up for a mission to overthrow Rome, if you will, and restore the nation of Israel to its prominence. They were expecting Messiah to come and lead a revolution and reestablish Israel as a kingdom. He says, guys, I'm going to die. 
And not only that, it gets worse. And guys, I've got to tell you, one of you among this close group that's been around me for these three and a half years, one of you is going to betray me. Wow. And that's not all. And then, then Peter says something, and he says, Peter, I, the bad news is you're going to deny me three times. Can you imagine these guys looking at one another going, what is wrong? What's, what is wrong with this picture? This is not the army we signed up for. He's going to die. We've got a betrayer in our midst. Peter, our, our, one of our stronger guys, is going to deny him three times. And the dream we seem to have fabricated in our mind is unfulfilled. We're, we're not getting where we want to go, you see. And all of a sudden, their heart was being troubled. It was being disturbed, if you will, by what he simply said. And he says, don't let your heart be troubled. Must not be troubled. Must not be disturbed. What assurances do we have when life is greatly disturbing? When your life is disturbed... When your life is disturbed, what assurances do we have? These men were dealing with this. Their lives were disturbed all of a sudden. They were very uncomfortable with what they were hearing. And, and their, their plans were not following the course they had intended. And they were disturbed. What assurances does God give us in times like this? Because we're in disturbing times today. I don't think they'll really get better. What assurances do we have? Well, there's two. The first is this. Our time of trouble is only temporary. A better world is coming. What we're doing here, while we're here, is simply temporary. First Peter 1 says this. Peter says, I'm writing to you, disciples, followers of Christ, as temporary residents. Man, we're, we're just passing through. We're not supposed to live here forever. And this isn't our final destination. We're just passing through. This is a preparing ground for that place called heaven. And so he says, everything here, we need to understand, our time of trouble is only temporary. As he says these guys, your time of trouble is only temporary. Now, their days were going to get harder before they got better. As a matter of fact, for some of them, the only way they ever got better was that they actually died and went to heaven. So he says, it's only temporary, but a better world is coming. Our life is disturbed, often causing anxiety, fear, and this leads to discouragement, despair, and even depression. I was meeting with about 40 pastors the other day and talking to different guys from all over the state of Georgia, tremendous churches, but we were all talking about what's going on and what's happening, and, and this word kept up, came up, kept popping up, our people are depressed. There's so much bad news, there's so many difficult battles and burdens going on, our people are depressed. Time magazine, uh, a couple years ago, said one of the greatest challenges for teenagers is depression. Why is that? Because there's troubled times in which we live. The disturbance comes when circumstances are unfavorable. As we look at this, circumstances become unfavorable. We look at the economic climate, it's not favorable. There's a lot of things that are going on that we don't know what's going to happen because of them. We don't know what's going to be taking place with business and industry in the days ahead. There, there's an unfavorable circumstance about our economy and the climate it's in. And then the, uh, the snowstorm in the Northeast, which is going to cripple it for days and, again, cost people money and they'll miss time out of work. And the burden of paying bills grows bigger. 
circumstances are unfavorable. We, we look around and we see uh, what could be taking place in unemployment and the circumstances are unfavorable. We hear of wars and rumors of wars. Such an unrest around the world. We, see, we, we deal with pressure day in and day out and the stresses of life, whether it's getting ready for a test or just trying to get to work on time. The pressures of trying to meet the expectations of family or of girlfriend or boyfriend. It's all very real. Some days are bad days. That's just the truth of it. So here's what he says. You must understand this. Your heart must not be troubled, not disturbed, meaning disturbance shouldn't dominate your life. Yes, it crosses our life, but what do we do with it? The minute disturbance comes and begins to create anxiety and stress, what do we do? He said, look, believe in God, believe also in me. He says, you've got to go to a belief system. Now, this is not a simple formula. It's not a sense of pure intellect. It is a sense of faith, the reality of faith, the substance of faith that trusts in the salvation of God, that God is sovereign and able to save me from the days of trouble I enter. Now, this is very important because you've got to believe, and as we understand that belief, then we realize that God wants to respond to us personally and eternally, and we believe in him for salvation personally and eternally. Faith is the means by which we receive God's gift of life. There's no other way to get it. I I can't earn it. I can't work for it. I, I can't buy it. I must receive it from him. And my faith is the means by which that gift comes to me and it comes to you. It is by faith. It is not by works. It is not by a, a, a heritage or inheritance from someone else. It comes as a gift from God personally. And as I believe in God and Jesus, the result is justification. I'm declared righteous. I now have a new position with God from being one time guilty to not guilty by the blood of Jesus. I'm now in Christ and therefore I'm justified because of his righteousness. But also that faith results in regeneration. I have a new birth, a spiritual birth from above. I have a new beginning. And now I have a a new birthright because of that. Uh, And then I have this thing, this result from faith is reconciliation. Now I'm no longer an enemy of God, but I'm a part of the family of God. This is the transforming power of the gospel and the salvation that comes from believing in Jesus Christ. And that's so important because in the midst of troubled days, the one thing we have that rises above the circumstances that are unfavorable and the, and, and the crisis that is undesirable is our belief because there is the crisis that is undesirable. And he says, in the midst of that, you must believe in me. Yes, circumstances can be bad. What about the crises we all face every day? The physical illness, the loss of a job, the crisis we're watching for 13 days straight in Egypt, wondering how's that going to affect the Middle East? What's that going to do to Israel? Yes, it is a world crisis. But may I remind you that everything that's happening is temporary, getting us ready for eternity. And we've already been told that when the end of time comes, there must be a one-world government. There must be a global economy. There must be a a one-man ruler. So when we see these things that trouble us and, and truly bother us, we must realize that we believe in God and what he has proclaimed and what he's prophesied and what he's promised. Man, God has come through for us. He said, look, I I told you it's got to get bad before it gets better. 
And the truth is, as the end of times unfold, it will get very bad. But we have our faith that no one can take away from us. And so by that, we say, if our heart is troubled, he said, I want you to, don't let it be troubled. Turn to your belief system, your faith in God and me. And here's what happens. Because in the midst of circumstances that are unfavorable and crisis that is undesirable, our hope is unchangeable. Meaning this. He says, in my Father's house, in God's house, are many dwelling places. And I go to prepare a place for you. He says, guys, when it's all said and done, when, when you look at all the trouble around you, when you, when you will realize what will happen uh, in your city and in your state and in your world, I'm preparing a place for you. That this is all just temporary. There's a new world coming. Heaven is our eternal home. We're just passing through, as Peter would say. Guys, it is a challenge today to realize all that's taking place and so much is beyond our control. Do you realize you guys are going to have more debt than you pay off because of what's happening now? I mean, uh, unbelievable the financial pressure many of you will have to deal with in the days ahead. Some of you are wondering about what's life going to hold for me as I become a senior adult and what's really going to happen to my health care and to my pension. All those things are troubling. There's no question of that. And, and we all know this. We're all saying, God, what's going to happen to my grandchildren? We're growing up in a basically pagan culture that has no regard or respect for God. What, are, what kind of world are they going to live in? And we're reminded, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe that God's plan is being worked out. And this is all just temporary. It's just temporary. There's one other thing. As I look at the assurances he gives us, there's one other thing he gives us in these, two, in these three verses. He said, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And now he's told them he's going to leave. And they're going, man, I can't believe you're leaving us. Yeah, I got to go. But I'm coming back. And I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I will come back and receive you to myself. What an assurance. He's coming back. This is our triumphant transition is certain. Our triumphant transition. There has to be a transition from this world to the next. There's a transformation in our salvation experience. It's the beginning of a transformation process. But then one day there comes that transition from this world to the next, to that new world, to a better place to a place called heaven where there is no more night, no more sickness, no more death, no more disease, no more depression, no more discouragement, no reason to cry, only to rejoice around the throne of the Lamb forever and ever and to serve with Him. That's our hope. Yeah. So we look at this second thing. Our triumphant transition is certain. Jesus is coming again. He truly is. That's our hope. That's what you see. He would tell us, as Paul would say, and, and as we talk about, that there's, that, there's that, the sound of the trumpet that will sound one day, and it will be the rapture of God's people taken out of the judgment that's about to come, of the chaos that's going to unfold in the great tribulation period, the tribulation period. You know, as I look over in Egypt, it was when things begin to disintegrate and become dangerous, we got our people out. There's a time coming when it's going to be horrible 
to be here. The judgment of God is going to be poured out like never before and will never since. But we are not a people destined for condemnation or judgment on sin. We have been righteous. So the, the trumpet's going to sound and we're going to be gone. And, and we're going to, he's coming back for us. We, and we'll meet him in the air and, and we will go to be with him. And then there's a second coming when he comes in Revelation 19. As the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the word of God coming in all his glory and majesty and magnificence to bring close to this sin-cursed world and set us free from all the destruction of sin and bring in a new heaven and new earth. And the old things will pass away and all things will become new. This is our assurance that this is temporary and our transition is certain and one day it's coming. And so he tells us, when you see the signs coming of time according to prophecy, lift up your head for your redemption, for your deliverance, for your rescue is closer than it's ever been. He's coming back, guys. Somewhere we thought that when we became a Christian and we loved God that things would be wonderful and we'd never have a problem, we'd have everything we wanted in this life. The Bible's never promised that. The Bible's promised I'll never leave you, forsake you. I'll be with you always, even at the end of the age. I'm coming back for you. And I'll provide for your daily needs. I have assurance that he's prepared a place for me called heaven. That's my hope. And then I'm assured also that he's coming back for me. Let me share this with you. I have two daughters that attend uh, KSU. And uh, they enrolled in, a, in the Army Physical Training Program this semester. It is designed for uh, guys that go in the military, men and women go in the military, but they let other students sign up, and five students signed up for this physical training. And it is tough. Uh, you have, uh, you run, you do push-ups, you do sit-ups, you do pull-ups, you do all, you do a, a whole gamut of things in the way of physical training. They keep up with your record, they keep up with your improvement. Well, they started this really a couple of weeks ago. And uh, they, they were excited about it. Now, you've got to understand about my daughters. I have one daughter that is extremely athletic. She's good. She just can run and run and run. She works out. She does this. Uh, my other daughter is not so athletic. That's just not her thing. But they signed up together. And they do this. Now, they were, they were getting up the first day. They got up at 5 o'clock. As a matter of fact, they get up 5 o'clock three times a week to go to this physical training. And, and so they show up, and the first day they've got to run two and a half miles in the same day. <laughs> so, so in the process, they're... they're, they're they're getting out there and, you know, they're going, oh, okay. So, but Vicky, she loves it. She, she takes off and they, they send them off and she takes off running. And she runs her two and a half miles. It's two laps. It's a mile and a quarter, mile and a quarter each lap. She runs her two laps. So she's taking off and she's running. And she's running and she's running and she laps her sister on the first lap. And she finishes up. She goes around the second time and she laps her sister again. 
And she finishes, passes the finish line, gets a good time. They're all excited. And then she does something amazing. She turns around and runs back to get her sister. Now, it's a big field, and they're, and they're, and they're, uh, her sister and her buddies that are kind of uh, bringing up the rear are just kind of getting along, and, and they're tired, and they're thinking, will we ever get to the finish line? And then one of her friends looks up and sees someone coming around the track, and they say, look, they're coming back to get us. They're all excited. And my daughter said, that's my sister. She's coming back for me. I said, how do you know it's your sister? She says, because I know my sister, and she would come back for me. And sure enough, Vicky came alongside her, encouraged her, ran with her again till she got to the finish line. The Lord showed me something as I was thinking about this. I'm like, what you going to do for me, Lord? I'm running this journey, and sometimes it seems like I'll never get to the finish line, and I, I, I'm so tired and exhausted and overwhelmed and sometimes troubled. But you've promised to come back for me. And guys, because I know my Jesus, he's coming back for me. Because I know him. He does not lie. He will do what he says he'll do. And he's coming back. The question is, are you ready for him to come back? Have you had that moment of, in your life where you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior? And you've had that moment of being born again, reconciled to God because of your faith, not because of your works, not because of your intentions, not because of your achievements, but because of what Jesus did on the cross. Have you had that moment of genuine faith that's bringing transformation to your life? If not, then what he's promised does not apply to you. He says to the disciples, don't let you be troubled because you believe in God, believe in me. But if you never believed, heaven's not your home. And the best you'll ever know of life is in this life. Whereas for the Christian, the worst we'll ever know of life is in this life. Have you believed? If not, why not today? Why not now?